Hello, my friends, and here we are, another episode of the Robcast. Kentucky, here we come. <laughs> this is episode 247, and if it sounds a little different than it usually does, I'm in the front passenger seat of a rental car. My friend is driving, my daughter Violet is in the back seat. And we are somewhere in Kentucky, somewhere near Elizabethtown, I believe it is, driving to Louisville. Apparently it's Louisville, if I'm saying that correctly. Um, and I love going to new places. Last night, uh, I'm, I'm doing this tour this year called An Introduction to Joy. Last night, I uh, was in Ch uh, Chattanooga. And the night before, Knoxville. Tonight, Louisville. And then tomorrow, fly home. I do this uh, about once a month. Go out for a couple of cities at a time. And my daughter's out of school, so um, she's with me. And that makes it just about the greatest thing ever. By the way, just a few minutes ago, on the freeway, we're passing a guy in a gray Prius. So if you're listening to the Robcast, fella, uh, I see you. We're passing a gray Prius, and on the back left corner uh, was um, the original Love Wins bumper sticker that I designed in, like, maybe 2002. And so I saw it, and I was like, that's funny. So as we passed by the guy, I rolled down the window and just waved to the guy as we passed him. And I'm telling you, if you could see the look on this guy's face, he's just out on the freeway in the middle of Kentucky driving along. And a car goes by, the window comes down, this guy waves at him and smiles. And then all of a sudden, his face changes and he just starts mouthing, Rob Bell? Rob Bell? Is that Rob Bell? And I was like, hey, Violet, check out that guy in the car next to us. And so Violet looks up from her um, phone where she's uh, Minecraft, maybe, YouTube. She looks up, and I was like, check out that guy in the car next to us. And she looks over, and this guy is just mouthing, oh, my God, Rob Bell. Are you Rob Bell? What is Rob Bell doing? <laughs> uh, you can't make that stuff up. So if you're that guy, man, we had a connection, didn't we? We had a moment between us. That's living right there. Uh, uh, so what I was oh, and we also, we just passed a sign that says used cows for sale. And just for the record, uh, where I live in West Hollywood, we don't have signs that say used cows for sale, which is why I love this. Uh, when I first started touring years ago, we'd get a bus and you uh, go to sleep, you have a bunk. And so everybody has their own bunk. And um, at night you go to sleep and then there's a driver and you sleep through the night and you wake up usually in the alley of the venue for that night. And then you have that day in that city, and then you go to sleep the next night, um, which, which really messes with your head, with a sense of time and space and location. But now, um, but those tours require, like, you leave home for, like, you know, you leave home for a month or something. We did that a number of times as a family. But uh, I, I love my life too much to leave it. Um, so very much so these just like maybe once a month go out and do a few cities and then you get a rental car and then we drive 
from city to city. So today's a four or five hour drive from Chattanooga to Louisville. And I love it because I see, I live in a bubble. Uh, I live in a Los Angeles bubble of sorts. It's a pretty cool bubble, but it's a bubble. And uh, like last year when Pete Rollins was with me and we were touring, I remember we were in Texas and every person we met in Texas was like, have you tried our barbecue? So at one point he and I are driving um, in these vast open stretches of Texas and we were like, you know what? Enough people say we should try the barbecue. We should go try the barbecue. So we pick this the most random place in the middle of nowhere and we pull over and it's like a barbecue joint. It's a gas station. It's a convenience store. And it's like a gift store that sells Christian military, I think paraphernalia is the word for it. You know, like where the cross and the flag are like on a pillowcase, that sort of thing. Uh, and then there's like this giant open counter with like every kind of meat ever. And Pete and I are I'm with this philosopher from Belfast, Northern Ireland, and we're like, we are far from home. Is that safe to say? And I love it because you just pick up all of this humanity, the, the land. And when you drive, like we're right now at exit 91 for Elizabethtown in Paducah. And uh, we just stopped at a truck stop and you meet these interesting people and you observe all sorts of things that are way outside of your normal world. And it, it does something to me. It opens me up. It, uh, it, it has deeply shaped uh, my understanding of our politics because it's so easy to wonder why those people voted that way and why don't they get it. And then you go out and you meet all these interesting people and you enter into their spaces. And it's like you see, uh, you see so much more than when you just stay in your own little space, no matter how big or populated or diverse or progressive it, it may be, it still opens you up. So uh, we're on the way, we're almost to Louisville and so a day is like you wake up, you check out of the hotel, you find some food, you get gas, you stop at rest stops. It's all part of it. Uh, so there are, there's like the show. There's like the two hours on stage. Before the two hours on stage, there's a, some people come early and there's like an hour Q&A. There's like the, the thing we're here for. But then there's all that space in between. And that's what I want, I want to explore that with you uh, in this episode. Partly because like my voice is a little bit hoarse from last night. Partly because um, it's the third day in a row of driving. Partly because in this space I can like feel uh, literally physically and see everything um, that I'm talking about here, because there are the there are the big moments in life, and then there are all the other moments, and, and I want to explore that because I want to take that apart because I don't actually see it that way anymore. And I know a number of you, the number of people who tell me that you listen to the Robcast washing dishes, 
the number of you have told me that it's part of your commute. Um, others, it's your daily walk or run. Uh, there's the majority of life. And then there are these moments that are often seen as like the mountaintop moments, the moments that are all the other moments are so that you can get to those moments. But there was this thing that happened in one of the Q&As a couple cities ago. It was probably two months ago where somebody had asked a question about hopes and dreams and visions for a new future. And it was like one of those big sort of, how do you think about... But then the question after it, a guy, I'll never forget it, was in uh, Lincoln, Nebraska. He just raises his hand and he leans back in his chair and he says, yeah, but what about paying the bills? <laughs> so great. It's like he poked a hole. In the, yeah, we can talk about living your best life we can talk about all your hopes and dreams and visions. We can talk about your aspirate. We can talk about all the beautiful pictures on Instagram, but there's also like paying the bills, like the slog of it, the grind of it, to use an old biblical word, toil of life, which is actually most of our waking hours. Because no one gets a free pass from that. If you want to do a show in Chattanooga and you want to do a show in Louisville, then you got to drive from Chattanooga to Louisville. you got to sleep somewhere. you got to check into a hotel. That means months earlier, you got to go online and find the hotel, and you got to make the reservations. And then that involves plane tickets. And then you got to find somewhere to eat. And then you got to save your receipts. And then, right? Like, you want to do the one thing, you got to do all the other things. That's how it works. And no one gets a free pass from all the in-betweens. You can pick the most, the sexiest, most glamorous work you could possibly imagine, mission, cause, thing you're gonna give your life to. And it will still have an element of routine to it. It will still have, you're gonna have to drive to Louisville, <laughs> that being a metaphor for whatever the other stuff is that no one ever sees. Whatever it is, whoever you are, at some point, there is an element of the mundane to it. There is, it's an average day doing what you do most days. And that's what's really, really, really interesting to me because I, I don't actually, I don't see it like I used to and so what I want to do is explore how I used to see it with, with the thought that perhaps you might find yourself in there and then what happened and how I see it now. Because I came out of a world... I remember when I interviewed for my first job as a pastor and they asked me, when did you receive your call to ministry? And I remember sitting there picturing like, like the phone ringing, right? Like... But in the, uh, the, the first place where I was a pastor, there was this language of, if you're going to be a pastor, then you must have received a call, which meant you, like some sort of, almost like a divine, um, you had to have some, basically a mystical experience in which you knew that you were chosen to do this particular work. And I hope the way that I'm even phrasing that, you're like, wait, what? But that was just sort of the common parlance of that particular time and space, that particular church uh, environment. But what I noticed that it did ever so subtly is when people would interact with me as a pastor 
who had that sort of belief system, that tribal understanding, as they would talk about, well, you know, now I'm not a pastor. I'm just an insurance agent. I'm just a mom. I just work fixing cars. But I noticed how what it did is it created like this striated hierarchy. Some people uh, are called to the big things. And then other people sort of, they fund it. <laughs> they basically go get another job and then write checks to the church to fund it. But what happened to me right away, uh, this would have been like my mid-20s, as I would interact with, I got to interact with all these different people who do all the, did all these different sorts of things. And they would tell me stories about their life. And there was such a, there was such a holiness. There was something so sacred. I'd literally meet like a mom who'd say, well, I'm just a mom. And then she'd tell a story. And I would think that's, that's as divine as anything. Or I'd meet somebody who'd say, you know, I'm just a simple, I'm just a carpenter, I'm just a welder. But then they would tell me about their experiences. And it's like that whole sort of, some people, you know, do big important stuff and some people don't. It just got blasted to shreds. It, it just, uh, man, by like 26, 27, 28, I, I was like, no, I'm, I'm doing work like you're doing work like we're all present in our lives doing what we're doing. And part of that also came about because I would do these sermons and there were these big crowds and there was music and the lighting was just right. It was like, it had this adrenaline to it, like everybody's gathered and then I would say stuff. And what happened ever so gradually is my life became about those big moments. Um, I can remember doing this event in maybe 2002, 2003 in Atlanta in an arena. And I guess there was some story I was telling in the talk I was giving to this big group of people. And I, I had this chair that I was going to use as some sort of, I don't know, prop. And I sat down in the chair to give my whatever example about the chair. And I remember thinking, like while I was talking, ah, oh, this chair feels nice, yeah. Like, um, almost like I'd gotten used to the big moments to where I could just casually sit in a chair on a stage and do my thing. It's like these giant, big, and because I was a pastor, it was like sanctified God moments with a microphone and an audience those became like the norm. And then ever so subtly, the rest of life became hanging out, waiting for the next big hit. And then when I became a dad and I had these two young boys, I can remember playing with my boys in the backyard and wanting, I remember being this one house we lived in, been almost torn because I wanted to be present with them and not miss a thing. And yet, I distinctly remember one day this feeling, almost like a subconscious impulse, like, yeah, we're just killing time, waiting for the next big thing. But right in front of me was the big thing. You know what I'm saying? Like, being present to these boys, that's the big thing. And it was like something began to break 
for me. Because what happens when you end up with, they're the big moments, and then they're the moments that you sort of need to get through, the slog, the routine, the grind, in order to get to the next big, enjoyable, pleasurable, meaningful moments. What it does at some level is, whether you're aware of it or not, is it, it makes some parts make the other parts worth it. And what that does is ever so subtly life becomes the stuff that's big and the stuff that isn't, the stuff that matters and the stuff that sort of you have to just get through. But what you end up with is in bits and pieces you don't know what to do with. Like that guy in Nebraska who's like, well, what about the bills? It's almost like, yeah, there's all that interesting stuff. But then there's the rest of life. And when you have bits and pieces floating around, what do I do with this long commute? What do I do with diapers? <laughs> what do I do with another morning of taking the three-year-old to the park and standing there having conversation with the other parents and then going home and doing the nap routine? Like, what do you do with another meeting about the third quarter budget? Like, when you end up with these bits and pieces that sort of float untethered, it always leads to some low-grade form of despair. Despair, in many ways, is isolation. You have something, a task, uh, a commute, a number of hours that need to be given to a particular thing that keeps everything running smoothly. When that gets to be just a piece that you see as a part that is necessary so that you can get to the real parts, what it inevitably does is leads to despair because despair is always rooted in a feeling of isolation. I don't know what to do with this bits and piece, these bits and pieces because I don't see how they're connected to everything else other than I just need to get through. I need to endure them to get to the next thing. I don't know where actually to put this, but none of that worked for me it all it all sort of fell apart I ended up waiting almost like a drug waiting for the next hit and, and it was around then that I discovered uh, the more mystical traditions I began to understand that there were lots and lots of places in the Bible that were talking about this exact thing I began to read the Psalms differently like Psalm 24 the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. I began to see that there was a whole other way to see it. So gradually I began to see things in a, a whole new way, which has transformed everything, especially something like a drive to Louisville, Kentucky. But now we're almost there, so uh, I gotta hit pause. And then once I get checked into the hotel, I'm going to pick this up and we'll keep going. Okay, so we are back on. I am now uh, in the green room of the Brown Theater in downtown Louisville, Kentucky. We arrived here. You check into the hotel. You go to the room. Uh, I'm traveling with my 10-year-old daughter, Violet, so there is an evaluation of the room 
she declared this room was funky, the word that you used. <laughs> she gives her, her uh, evaluation of the colors and the textures and the way the room is arranged and what she thinks about it all, which is always just a good time. And then um, you walk around, we walked around downtown, you get a feel for the place, get a little food. And then uh, because the theater is adjacent to the hotel, there's like a 30 second walk over to the venue. And I'm telling you, every time I come in the venue, it's like a, it's like a sacred thing. It's like, a, it's just a building and yet these venues have so much history. Most of them have like framed pictures of who has performed there over the years. So uh, it, it sort of tunes you in to this feeling that for years and years, people have been coming to this space um, to hear from each other, to have these shared experiences. It's like the tribe, it's like the community, it's like the tribal fire of sorts. So, uh, there's this moment when you walk out on the stage the first time, and it's usually quiet. So it's like a big room that's really quiet. And I walk around on the stage. This one, the brown, it's like a big room with these huge two circular chandeliers in the ceiling. And you, uh, like I, I, you sound check, you check the lights, you get like a feel for it. Uh, because that ground, that floor, I'm going to be walking around on it. So I sort of, um, I walk around and feel what it feels like to be in that space. Uh, sometimes I just sit still for a while and sort of take it in. Um, and that feeling, you know, I've been doing this for a, a <laughs> fairly long time. The, uh, the newness of it never goes away the the feeling of starting over again all over again um because there's going to be a happening these people are going to come we're going to have this experience uh, and then you sort of set up in the back room um you know with violet we got to set up the laptop so she can do minecraft while i'm doing my thing <laughs> find the water uh my rider is apples water and chips and fresh salsa. That's like contractually what the venue provides. <laughs> For those of you who are keeping track at home. Um, and actually yesterday, I think it was in Chattanooga, they, they were laughing. They said it was the simplest rider they've ever seen, which makes me laugh because I was just thinking, do I really need uh, the chips and salsa? <laughs> These are all the things that you think about. Um, and I tell you all that, I tell you all the details, checking in, uh, going to the stage door, entering, getting a feel for the place. I, I tell you all those things because there's a word for this, and I'm sure you're already thinking it, but the word is ritual. It's a ritual. It's, uh, it's what you do, because this experience and coming into this venue is related to coming into all those other venues and all the venues that I'm going to enter later on. So it's not an isolated thing. So what a ritual, when you ritualize it, when you essentially sacralize it, what you do is you're paying attention to all the little mundane details and you are seeing them in a larger connected web of meaning. This is the work that I've given myself to. 
this is this particular in time and space, this moment on this day in June in 2019, where I am and what I get to do. So in the ancient tradition, everything is about learning to see the details of your life in a larger sphere of holy and sacred meaning. So, like, you think, you know, I'm always, literally, how often do I go back, do I go back to the book of Leviticus? But what's it, a, it's a book about, like, the ancient Torah, the first five books of the Bible, it's about food, it's about biology, it's about your health, it's about sex, it's about economics, it's about how to get along with your neighbor, it's about tribe, it's taking all of the stuff of life and ritualizing it and seeing it in this larger sphere. Some people pray before they eat. Well, what is the prayer before eating? It's not just food, but it's placing the meal and the gift of food to keep you alive in this larger sphere of provision and grace. I remember uh, years ago, man, this was like 1993, I was surfing with this lovely fellow named Mike, and we went down north of San Diego, and we have our boards, and we're walking into the water, and just as we reach the water line, right before our feet touch the water, Mike stops, and he's like, I always like to say a prayer right now of gratitude that I get to enter the Pacific Ocean. And then he says this simple, little, open-hearted, you know, thank you, God, for the water, for the waves, for the air. <laughs> He does this simple, and I remember it just completely floored me. He turned the moment of entering into the water and getting on your board and paddling out and line up, he turned it into a ritual. He turned it into something sacred. You can do that with every square inch of your life. This is the great invitation. So there's this moment... Uh, I do the sound check, the lights, how it sounds, how the mics, how, how the whole thing feels. I get a sense of what this space is, because space matters, architecture matters, aesthetics matters. It's like you have to just take it all in. By the way, a couple weeks ago, uh, I had Rabbi Nachum on the uh, Robcast, and he, we did this whole thing about the liberating path of the prophets, and I'm assuming you remember that, because he, what an extraordinary human being. Um, but it was interesting, he came over to the back house. He comes in the back house and sits down. And I uh, start asking him, so how long are you in town? Uh, where, where, where are you from? Like, tell me a bit about, I start in and he stops me, puts his hand up and he says, one moment. He says, hold on, hold on, hold on. He says, let me just sit here for a moment and take in this moment and get a sense of what this space is. I mean, I've, I've met him now at that point for, what, 20 seconds? And so he just sits there in silence, and he smiles, and he looks around the back house. He looks out the window. He looks at me. He says, I just need a moment to understand the space I'm in and what this is. And then after a little bit, he says, all right, okay. Let's, let's, let's do this. <laughs> How fantastic is that? So now, uh, what 
happens is people come early there's for an, and there's an hour Q&A. So I go out, and we put a stool down on the floor of the venue in between the chairs, in among the chairs, and uh, I have no idea what people are going to ask. Um, I have no idea who's going to be there. I just walk in and sit down and say hi to everybody, and then people start in with their questions. And a friend of mine was there last night in Chattanooga, and he's been to two of the pre-show Q&As, and he's like, man, he's like, I'm on the edge of my seat every time. And I was like, you are? He said, I just never know what's going to happen next or how you're going to respond. And I love it because these people are from Louisville or some of them probably have driven from all over and they're going to have things that they want to explore and I don't know what it is and I don't know how it's going to go. And even that can have like a sacred ritual dimension to it. So I sort of go through this exercise before I do it, before I walk out. It's like, okay, we're going... And you know, what, you, you know why I do a Q&A. You know, because Q&A, seriously, even the phrase Q&A, who's interested in the Q&A? But you know why I do it? I do it because I love learning. I love hearing what people want to talk about. I will get as much out of it, or more, <laughs> as everybody who comes. So the premise is, come and ask Rob Bell a question, um, but uh, Rob Bell is doing it because all of us together are going to have an experience. So there is sort of this relationship thing where you get a ticket and you come so that you can ask a question and I can give an answer, but uh, if that's the entry in, that's fine, but for me, uh, those boundaries dissolved a long time ago. If that's a setup that makes sense, fine. But I'm interested in the thing that happens between us. I'm interested in this person asks a question, and that reminds me of something in my own history. And so I ask them a question to get a better sense of what the question is. And suddenly they're like, oh, they realize what I'm doing, and then we go somewhere. And then it connects to the question before it, and then you can see that person light up like, oh. And suddenly it's like a string, that, like a ball of string that we're passing around. And eventually everybody's got a little bit of the string and suddenly things are looping and there's these uh, callbacks and suddenly it's, it's about all of us. So that's uh, about, oh, actually, it's actually about to happen right now. Okay, so I got to go. <laughs> I'm going to go do this Q&A, then I'm going to come back and keep doing episode 247 of the Robcast. Okay, back in a moment, which for you listening to it won't be a moment. It'll just be like a second. <laughs> but for me in real time, it'll be an hour. I hope you enjoyed that little Back to the Future. Okay, back in a minute. Oh, Wow. I, uh, I'm back in the green room. I just did uh, an hour Q&A. Uh, man, a whole bunch of people came early. And these people, uh, well, I guess some of you who are there are probably listening to this. You people, um, I get so much out of meeting all of you. And the Q&A, the premise is people are going to ask questions, but I always know I'm <laughs> going to learn as much or more than anybody, this woman named Mary told about how in 2016 her 24-year-old son died and how she was overwhelmed with grief and how she knew that if she listened in that grief 
and gave that grief its fullest expression, there would be some sort of invitation. And she said there was. There was an invitation to help others with their grief. And so she told about how she now is helping people who have lost somebody they love. And she has this podcast called Grit. And, uh, I mean, you could just tell everybody was like, this woman is amazing. And then another woman, uh, she talked about a near-death experience she had where for three weeks, essentially her body was in a coma, but there was brain activity. And how she had had this question prior uh, to this horrific accident. Her question had been, can people change? She had this like sort of quest, this giant question that was sort of at the front of her mind and heart in her life. Are we just stuck or can a person actually change? And then she has this horrific traumatic event and she goes into a coma for three weeks and experiences like a taste uh, you might say a taste of the infinite, a taste of the divine. I mean, these are the kinds of unbelievable stories I hear all the time. Uh, and she talked about how it's completely transformed her life. And uh, once again, and then she had, um, she had come to the Holy Shift Tour. She had Kadosh, Kadosh, Kadosh uh, tattooed on the inside of her arm. Oh my goodness, so moving. And then uh, this group of students came who have been studying the Enneagram, which is this ancient way of understanding how people move and health and unhealth. And they had matching t-shirts made up and they made one for me and their t-shirt said across the front, your Enneagram is showing. (laughs) Which is a total inside baseball joke. Uh, (laughs) Oh my word. That sort of humor. What in the world? And then a woman um, said she had road tripped here to see the Intro to Joy tour, and then to visit the Thomas Merton plaque, which is at the corner of 4th Avenue and Muhammad Ali Boulevard. (laughs) Thomas Merton is this legendary writer, mystic, um, contemplative leader, but the plaque that commemorates this extraordinary experience he had is on Muhammad Ali Alley, which, I mean, that's just a beautiful world we're living in when that happens. So she asked if I'd had any singular experiences that had shaped me. So I'm just answering her question. I started talking about my first sermon, and that led to falling in love with Kristen in January of 1993, and that led to the birth of our first kid. And I got all, like, choked up thinking about these transformative moments, like lightning bolt moments in my life. And then there were these two moms who shared about how their husbands have intense jobs and they're both caregivers in their jobs. Then they also have kids and they each have a kid with special needs and how they're trying to sort out how to care for themselves um, and how to essentially fill their own tank and how pretty much all day, every day, there are all these people they're surrounded by who need things from them and how to free themselves. Uh, So we talked about Uh, the importance of getting good at receiving, that for so many people, uh, giving is the fundamental posture of life. Just endlessly giving to those around you, to kids, to family members, to, um, and that for so many of us, we got really good at giving, but we weren't so good at receiving because receiving feels lazy, feels self-centered, feels selfish. Especially for many people, a religious veneer got loaded onto it, which is you're supposed to be serving others. 
So anytime it feels like somebody did something for you, it feels like uh, wrong. Like, what? I shouldn't be allowing this. What's wrong? Why can't I make it? Why is it all about me? And so uh, with these two moms, oh, my word, we had a moment. We had a moment. And then uh, this one woman, oh, my word, because I love the Southern, uh, there's like a drawl especially here in Kentucky, that I just love the way words get pronounced. I love words anyway, and I love the different ways words get pronounced, but this woman said that because I do a lot of stuff with, with text from the Bible on the Robcast, and uh, for her, new readings and new interpretations, and she was like, that just blows my mind. But the way she said blows my mind, I can't even do an impersonation of it. It was so amazing. Oh, that brought me so much <laughs> joy. <laughs> I mean, we haven't even gotten to the main show, and what an experience. But doing these, um, meeting so many of you, and hearing what you want to talk about, uh, and these, these experiences that we have together, there's something holy and sacred about it. And I get this, I get this like vantage point of getting to meet lots and lots of people and hear sort of what's sitting at the top of your heart, what it is you want for the world, um, what you're noticing. And, and honestly, if I, uh, I'm trying to sh like show you how I see it, but if you could see this many people, city after city, month after month, who are talking about their own experience of growing, of, uh, somebody talked about waking up, of seeing things in a whole new way, of being almost, some people, talk, some people talk about like indifferent or tone deaf, but then suddenly becoming aware of this cause, of this issue, of the need to stand up for this, um, and feeling empowered to do something about it. Um, and it's so interesting how many people uh, are sharing a question, but in the question is so much courage that they don't even realize. Or how many people in their question, I can pick up pieces of a hero's journey. They went into the unknown. They followed it where it took them. They did something that cost them something, but it also um, made them more alive than ever. Uh, I'm telling you, seeing this, I, I don't have despair. I don't have a sense that the car is going off the cliff. I don't have a sense... I mean, we have huge, giant, systemic, the earth, poverty. We have giant, uh, the possibility of nuclear war. We have giant problems and crises hanging in the balance. And yet, if you could, if you could meet you, <laughs> if you could hear these people that I get to hear, you, I think you'd say, yeah, it's going to continue to be difficult, and yet... Uh, extraordinary things are happening. Just the number of people who are more politically engaged and informed at like a real level, like the number of young women in their late 20s who will tell me that they're like running for office, like that they're going to be now on the town council who are just like my friends, like this woman, I remember her saying, all my friends were like, you should run for that position. She's like, so I did and I won. <laughs> so great. Like all these people realizing it's as if for so many, the message that was sent from early on is there are authority figures who have the hand on the wheel 
and just consume and just be quiet and just do your thing, but we got this. Someone's got this. And then it's like the system, it's like the car went off the rails. Uh, this person got elected president. These problems have emerged. And all of these people realize, wait a second, it's a trauma of sorts. Wait a second, the people who are supposed to be in charge haven't done a good job at a number of levels. Technology, economics, politics, religion. It's like there's, there was this traumatic realization that the people who are supposed to be running the show haven't been doing a very good job. And that's been like a, like a communal grieving for a number of years here. But what I keep noticing, especially now, is how many people uh, in some ways are through the grief and are realizing that imagination and empowerment is often hiding in the grief. It's like we get through the disappointment and the sadness of, oh, that thing really didn't work. And if we keep at it, we start to realize, oh, well, if, if that didn't work, well, how are we going to do it going forward? And then we realize, well, we should probably each have work to do and step up and do this. So I am seeing this, and I saw it tonight, again, this past hour, how many people told stories in which they were no longer standing at a distance, assuming some expert somewhere was in charge, but just stepped forward and stepped in. There was a woman, uh, pastor, uh, a woman in the back row, Trish, who just said, I want to be free. Uh, I want to be liberated. And the system that I'm in, um, it isn't free. And so I want to follow the liberation wherever, essentially wherever it takes me. And her husband is sitting next to her with his thumbs up, like cheering her on as she's asking her question. And uh, you know this woman, just by the way she's asking this question, this woman has a voice, like, She's going to do interesting, compelling things, and I get to see this city after city after city. And what happens over time is you, there's a holiness to it. There's something sacred about it. All the people who raise questions about how they're just figuring it out and they don't know which end is up, and they used to have a sense of how things worked, and now they don't. And after a while, you start to see it all. Uh, they're not just bits and pieces and random parts, but it's all part of a whole. It's all part of everybody together moving forward. The orientation, disorientation, reorientation. First the river's a river and the mountain's a mountain, then the river's no longer a river, and the mountain's no longer a mountain. And then a little bit later, the river's a river again, the mountain's a mountain again. This is how the thing works. And so what happens over time is you get to see this and you see enough of it. And my own experience of the event and meeting these people and then hearing what they want to talk about, there become less and less parts because all the parts, while they're there, exist. They're not just random parts isolated in time and space, but they become part of a larger whole, which takes me back to the whole thing because you have the big moments in your life and then you have all, then you have diapers, right? And you have the commute, and you have paying bills, the kitchen table. The invitation for all of us is to see that it's all part of it. That's a mantra, by the way. Try that mantra uh, for yourself, or, or maybe you have a partner or family or 
people you work with. Try, try this mantra. This is all part of it. So when you find yourself on the slog, when you find yourself overwhelmed with the details, when you find yourself on a long drive, third day in a row from Chattanooga to Louisville, just say this is all part of it. When you do this for a while, then it really does, you start to see it as all part of it. But at first, this can be incredibly helpful. Uh, we had <laughs> some rats in the roof of our house. You could hear them above the hallway in the middle of the house. So we had a guy come out. <laughs> Violet Bell is listening to me. You knew about this, right? You could hear them. She could hear them in the ceiling above her, roof, her uh, room. So we had a guy come out to uh, do something about the rats, and he and he said there was an opening in the roof where they could where they could get in, and so he put like a metal grating um, mesh over the opening so they couldn't get in. Then we had a rain because it rains like I don't know a couple times a decade in Los Angeles, but then we had a huge rain and water just started pouring in um, through our roof into our hallway. This is like a couple weeks ago, a couple months ago, and so we had to bring the roof company had to come out. And they were like, yeah, somebody drilled like some metal mesh into a hole up on your roof. But when they drilled it, they made a hole in the roof where they put the screws in. And so the water is just rushing through those screws. <laughs> so we literally paid somebody to get rid of our rats and then paid somebody to fix the roof where <laughs> the guy drilled through the roof who was getting rid of our rats. And Kristen and I <laughs> just turned to each other, and we were like, apparently this is all part of it. Like, you have a house, you literally want a roof over your head. You're going to pay one person to get rid of the rats, and that person's going to drill holes that you're going to have to pay somebody else <laughs> to fix. <laughs> I hand that to you, my Robcast friends, as a gift. If you, can, if you can even move to the point of laughing, this is all part of it. Oh, and now uh, I can actually hear. See, I make a playlist of songs before I go on so that wherever I am in the building, I can hear and I know, oh, five, you know, five songs before show, four songs. And I'm now realizing that I'm like, you know, it's that classic Wolf Alice tune, which means I'm only two songs away from going on. And I've been talking to you for a while, and I should probably rest my voice and get a little water before, you know, showtime. So I'm going to hit pause and go do the show, and then I'll come back here uh, to the green room and then wrap up this episode, <laughs> right? How's that sound? Okay, see you in a minute, which for uh, you, it'll be like one second, but for me, it'll be like two hours. Okay. Oh, <sighs> yeah, so we just did the show. Let me look at the time here. Yeah, so hour and 50, I don't know, 50 minutes. I'd wondered what it would be like to do a Robcast in which I followed the day and then tried to talk and record something after. Because uh, obviously it takes a fair bit of energy, but it's always, uh, it's like a really sacred thing. I got a little choked up at the end. Uh, I got really choked up at the end. And it's interesting how often, because, you know, I've been doing this for like 25 years, but when it's over, there's a, it's, it's weird to be recording because usually I need silence because I can't believe that I still get to do this, that I get to do this work. 
that I get to meet you. These people in Louisville, I don't even know if I'm saying it. Like, I keep slaughtering it. Louisville, Louisville, that's not Louisville. Louisville, Louisville, there we go, I got it. So much love in the place. It's like we're all, we're all uh, connected. Everything is related to everything else. At some level, there's a humanity that connects us all in spite of all the ways we've uh, cooked up to divide ourselves. Yeah, so the drive, the truck stop, checking into the hotel. Uh, on my rider, the chips and salsa, I have the chips and salsa in front of me. So when I hit stop here, chips and salsa with my daughter in the green room. Tomorrow we fly home to Los Angeles. It's all part of it. It's all integrated. It all informs itself. It's all sacred. So the real invitation for you and me, and I'm telling you, this is a thing that changes everything. So for you, for the dishes, for whatever, trying to get rid of the rats and the roof, for the commute, for taking out the trash, for doing the bills late at night, all the stuff that for you seems like it's in the way, seems like it's a distraction, seems like, ah, I got to slog through that to get to the good stuff. The, the invitation, the great spiritual vision of life is to, is to elevate it all, to move from seeing it as something you have to get through to, to get to the good stuff, to this is all part of it. Yeah, you turn to the people around you and you go, especially when it feels like things are falling apart or they're especially difficult. Yeah, because apparently this is all part of it. This is all part of it. Violet and I left home a week ago Sunday morning to uh, fly to see my dad for Father's Day. My mom and dad live in Michigan, and sister and brother and, and their families and everybody. So we decided, she's out of school, let's go early. Let's go, because we knew I had these three cities for tour. Let's go early, and we'll spend two days with my extended family, and then we'll go on and do the cities. So we leave L.A. on Sunday. The planes all get delayed. We eventually get to our connecting flight in Denver, but we miss the flight because we've been delayed, and we get stuck in Denver for an extra day. So we go get a hotel. We have a day to kill while we're trying to find the, get the next flight to Grand Rapids. Instead of getting to Grand Rapids Sunday night, we finally get in late Monday night. We have one day with my family, and then the next day, which would have been Wednesday, which feels like a year ago, but it was actually a couple days ago, Violet and I go back to the airport in order to fly to Knoxville for these three cities. Uh, that f flight gets delayed, and we realize we're not going to make our connecting flight in Newark, so then we go to the desk, you know, like you do at the airport, and you tell them, like, hey, because uh, of these rain, whatever, summer storm delays, we're not going to make it. Can you find some other flights? They can't find any flights. And the gig, the first gig, Knoxville, is the next night. So it's a little bit of a problem. So every single plane flight ever is not available. And so we're uh, trying to figure out what to do. And nothing works for the next day. And you don't want to fly and hope that you make it in time for the gig. So I say to Violet, I think we have to drive it. So we go over to the rental car place and every single rental car is rented. <laughs> so I'm like, wow, we need to be in Knoxville tomorrow night. This is not working well. So I start calling around to rental car places an hour from Grand Rapids and they're all like, nope, we don't have any cars left. I eventually find a car, one rental car in a different part of Grand Rapids and Violet and I Uber over there and we get in the car and I say to her, 
hey, this says it's going to take us nine hours if we drive straight through to Knoxville and we'll get at 3 a.m. What's the longest car ride you've ever taken? And she says, well, I've been to Las Vegas, which is four hours from our house in L.A. I was like, well, we're about to do nine and a half. So she gets out her phone. We start listening to some Taylor Swift. And we start driving. And the little maps thing says it's going to uh, 500 and something miles we're going to need to drive. And there is that moment when you can see this, like, this is brutal. This is torture. Why are the airlines failing us? Why are there these summer storms? How come there aren't any other airlines that can get us to Knoxville? Or you can simply say, apparently this is all part of it. And when you do that, when that shifts within you, then suddenly it becomes like an adventure. It suddenly it becomes something else. Now we're just talking about cars and planes and gigs. It's not like really, really, you know. There are like suffering, heartbreak, tragedy, that this all takes on all sorts of different dimensions. But at some level, at some level, that's the invitation for you and I to see it all as taking place within this larger sphere of sacred, holy meaning. So I'm going to go to sleep now in a moment. We're going to go back to the hotel and fall asleep and then fly home the next morning. But uh, every little bit is a part of it. What a gift. What a thing to be a part of. Take your most mundane, trivial, boring, slog-like dimension of your life and say this about it. Try saying, what an extraordinary thing to be a part of. <laughs> I'm telling you, and see what happens. Because in my experience... Everything changes. All right, my friends. This is Rob Bell coming to you from the green room at the Brown Theater in Kentucky. I am officially all talked out. <laughs> Grace and peace to you now more than ever. <laughs>